Sanchez. I'm Angel Sanchez. I'm an alcoholic. You might want to turn down the mic when I'm up here. Um, my sobriety date is October 8, 1998. I have a home group. My home group is the Hallfields group. We meet in Mebbin, and it's at 6.30 on Thursday. And our agenda there, our format is basically whoever's chairing that night, they, they, pick, they select something from AA literature approved. It could be a big book, 12 and 12, grapevine, uh, pamphlet, uh, sponsorship. So as Bill sees it, so we use all, all our, our literature, all our material that AA has offered to us. Um, also on, on that last Thursday of the month, we have a speaker meeting. So if you're passing through Thursday and through Mebbin, Come and drop, uh, drop by. I should be there. If I'm not there, it's because I have a previous commitment or something happened to me. <laughs> but I uh, should be there. Uh, just getting to what we're supposed to do tonight. I got here my, my state glasses still. Uh, yeah. Some of you know what that is. Huh? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you much about my qualification. If I tell you I'm an alcoholic, believe this. I am an alcoholic. So. All right. <laughs> So I'm not going to go into that because I want to get uh, my presenters up here. I just met uh, this lovely lady, uh, April. Uh, don't know her, but I got to speak to her a couple of times, and she was nervous all the time. I said, hey, welcome to the club. So am I. You know? <laughs> so we had a little uh, powwow prayer outside there, and I, I think she hooked up right. She had good members helping her out. She has good support, and I'm anxious to hear what April got for us today. So give a good warm hand to April. <laughs> Here we are. Um, so I'm really nervous, and my sponsor said it was okay to say that, so let me just get that out of the way. Um, my name is April Shaw, and I am an alcoholic. Hey, April. Okay. My sobriety date is June 6, 2018. Um, I am a member of the Principals Group of Raleigh. I have a service position within my home group, and um, I do have the privilege of sponsoring other women today, which I feel like that's where, you know, the I, I get the most of what I need to fill my cup from sponsoring other women. Um, so, I am connected with um, corrections in a different way. Um, I went to prison in 2018. Um, my life before that was self-will run riot. The only good thing that, that I can honestly say that I had going on was my two boys, Evan and Bryson. Um, I had some things happen in my life and I just, you know, I didn't know how to cope. I just, um, Evan's daddy had died when he was a year old, so I was a single mom for a long time. and. I drank myself, you know, I, I drank to live and I lived to drink and I didn't even know how to be a mama, but I tried my best. Um, then I thought having another child would help that and a man and, you know, filling that void with all the wrong things. So then I have my youngest son, Bryson. Um, long story short, I had a heavy relapse in 2015 and I mean, I drank all throughout my life. I took my first drink at 13, and it was just, and I loved it. 
But in 2015, I had really like hit a bottom that I had never experienced before. And um, I went through some real dark times, did some things that I said I would never do. And um, I lost myself. I forgot who I was um, and lost connection with my children as well. And, and that was the hardest thing for me to even face. And I did not want to live. And I tried numerous times to not live. And God just wouldn't let me have that. So, um, and I kind of feel like maybe all of this is coming full circle today. You know, like I know my purpose now. Um, so in 2018, I hit a police officer here in Moore County because I'm originally from Moore County, but I do reside in Raleigh now. And I know that Moore County was glad to see me go. <laughs> I, know, I know that they were so glad to see, like, yeah, get you some help, girl, because we can't help you. Um, and I also had a couple of family members that were that worked within the sheriff's department, so it was just bad all the way around. You know, they knew I was just real messed up, and just and I and the truth to it all was I I was better than what I was doing. I just didn't know how to deal with it. You know, I just didn't have the tools that I have today, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous um, and the women and the men in my life. So I went to prison in 2018. Um, I sat in Moore County Jail for eight months before I was ever sentenced. So that in itself was, you know, a wake-up call, you know. Um, I think I got a little used to sitting in that 8 by 10 cell, and it was pretty peaceful, to be honest with you, because I just, I found myself in there by myself a lot. I had some anger issues, y'all, and I just, whoop. Um, so... I spent a lot of time alone in an 8 by 10 cell, and then I was sentenced to prison, and I did my time. So I was introduced to AA in 2007 um, for the first time. I had a car wreck with my, young, with my oldest son. He was three at the time. The state trooper said I had approximately flipped my car three times, and both of us walked away from that wreck. I could have killed my son and stayed sober for a year did the AA thing because it's what I had to do to get my driver's license back my heart wasn't in it and um, but there was a, there was a few a few people that and things that they said you know we hear those little bits and pieces that just kind of like hmm hmm you know but I was stubborn and I was hard-headed and I just kept on rolling um, so I did my time. I got involved in AA. I did some Celebrate Recovery. Um, I met some really great women in prison, and I feel like I learned so many lessons within that time. Um, because you know how you can hear things about people, and you only know what you've heard, but then you get to meet somebody, and it's just like, wow, you know. So it taught me not to be so quick to judge people, um, and I'm and and I and I was one of those people, you know, really judgmental and self-righteous and yeah, um, all of that stuff, and still can be some of that stuff today, but it's okay, I, you know. I have a program that helps me see that. So I did my time in prison. Um, no family, burn all those bridges. I did get one letter while I was in there, and it was from my youngest son, Bryson, and it was a Mother's Day card. And that just meant the world to me. It gave me hope. Um, 
I was released from prison in 2020. I was a, I was a different person, and I still am a different person today because of that time I spent in prison, and I'm grateful for that. You know, that it, it, it takes what it takes, and I feel like God was like, you are so stubborn. You know, I don't, you know, I need you here, but you're going to have to sit down somewhere for a while. So I'm okay with that. You know, it changed me. It changed me for the better. Um, I got out of prison. I went into a treatment facility, which was also a homeless shelter. Um, and I was able to sit down, be still, complete that program. And I was able to get a job. Um, and that's when I joined principals for my home group when I was in that treatment facility. And I've been with them ever since. That was in 2020. And I just and I and I love principals because it's very disciplined and I need that in my life today. You know, I don't ever want to be back in prison um, and I don't want to die. You know, I can say that. My life today is one that is worth living and um, my grandma called me last Christmas and that just meant the world to me for her to call me because, you know, my grandma raised me and she said, and she's losing her mind, y'all, because she was like, well, you wasn't that bad. And I was, I really was, I really was so bad. And that woman, that woman stood behind me and, you know, she done, she done what my mother couldn't. And, and honestly today, you know, me and my mom have a good relationship. It's, it's, there's a lot of boundaries that have been set in place and that's okay because I know what I need to do today to stay sober. Um, and I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do anything that I have to to not go back. Um, I have a great job today. I have a job with purpose. And, and I feel like the times that I prayed to God and really meant it, I said, just show me what my purpose is. You know, this cannot be my life. Because I knew I was better than what I was doing and I was just settling for worthless men and and just all this stuff that got me nowhere and you know I've been to a lot of churches but I will say this I have found the most love and compassion ever in AA and I do know that AA is a spiritual entity and and you know I have people will show up for me to get my driver's license and they were indefinitely suspended and y'all, I am a licensed driver today. Um, I was able to reconnect with my children. Um, my youngest son, God love him, he's just, he's the best thing. He supports me, he loves me, and, and my oldest son does too, but he went through a lot of the bad stuff with me. You know, he remembers, but he's, he's coming around and you know, they gave me this necklace at Christmas, and I was like, oh, God, you know, like, it's got their names engraved on it. And that, those, the, the little things mean the most to me today. You know, my life got bad enough to where um, I can be grateful today for the small things, and, and that's what it's all about. It's the smallest things that make the biggest difference. Um, can say I'm happy today you know I know that I don't have to be somebody that I'm not um, God loves me the way I am and I'm finding that he's putting the right people in my life and I trust that as as bad as I want to be like let me do it my way it's just like you know he shows me every day 
April, just let me lead you. Just let me lead you. And when I do that, you know, things are good. I never in a million years thought when I came to this conference last year that I would be asked to speak. And, you know, this means the world to me. Because for somebody like me, I mean, I had a really bad reputation, y'all, here in Moore County. And for somebody like me to be where I am today, that's God. That's all God. Um, and the men and women that he's put in my life, Steve, you know, he's like, I feel like Steve's like a dad, you know, that I never had. He teaches me not to cuss and be a lady and that those things. Those, <laughs> that's hard for me, y'all. That is really hard, but I think I'm, you know, I think I'm getting there. Um, slowly but surely, you know, it takes time. It takes time. And I said, you know, good old, thank you. Good old time, you know. Good old time tells all. And, and you know, what else do I have to do than just wait on God today? I'm just thankful. I'm grateful. Um, I think everybody did a great job this weekend that shared and spoke. And I got a lot out of this, you know, and, and I don't know. I'm just I'm thankful, you know, to my boss and, and to the women in my life today that believe in me. Gina Martin gave me a chance. Terry gave me a chance, hired me, you know, and I'm employable today, y'all, because I choose to do what is right and live with principles and morals. And I haven't always done that. Um, but I can tell you that it's worth it. It's so worth it. You know, I wish I could have got it when I was a little younger, but you know, it's okay. It's okay. It is what it is and it, and it happens when it's supposed to happen. So thank y'all very much. All right, good, good. You know, uh, uh, throughout this uh, weekend, I, I noticed that it's been announced about these posters up here. It's important and, and it means a lot to them, but it, you, I kind of want to let you know what it really means because I've been in there, so I understand what this really means. I want to share this moment with you a second. Um, I couldn't go out and come over here to this conference. I always heard about it. Volunteers brought our meet, meetings into, uh, I call it the gated community for those that are new here. It's prison. Uh, it's not a high-end uh, neighborhood of living. Um, and we wouldn't, we were here about this conference so much, you know, and people like me, I wasn't getting out at that time out of prison no time soon. And when they brought, we did these posters and some of us were participating in it. I mean, I don't know how to draw nothing, but I put my input and I tried to do something and, and I was involved in it. And they told us what they do, that they come and sign this and then later they bring it back. And this is the thing I want you, want you to get exactly the feeling that it is. When you bring back that poster to us, and I remember seeing that volunteer that he came and shared his story with us, we felt at least I did. I felt part of you and part of being in that conference. So that's really the meaning of those posters. So I just want to let you know that. Now, our panel, uh, I should have said this before I even started. Our panel is uh, successful transition and staying involved. Uh, I'm one of those I don't like talking about. I like doing it. All of you that have been in prison and jail, please stand up. 
That successful transition right there. Being involved. You came here, you're involved. Okay? If you volunteers think it's not, you're not doing anything, when it don't mean nothing, are they getting the message? You just saw who they, most of us in here. <laughs> it helped us, okay? So this next gentleman uh, I'm going to introduce, is, you know, some people told me you might have seen him while you were in prison or you might have seen him at some time. And, and I said, man, I just don't know that name, you know. And last night he shows up and they point him out to me and really I can't remember his face. And then he tells me, Andrew, I remember you in so-and-so place and, and, and I'll let him talk about that. But uh, I'm going to introduce James and James, you do your thing, okay? okay. <laughs> All right, thanks. Hey everybody, I'm James Kozman. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, James. Uh, my sobriety date is December 13th, 2003. Um, I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor and I have a few sponsees. Okay, all right. Um, I was incarcerated in September 2002, which was a little bit before my sobriety date. I won't go into a lot of details about prison and all that other than um, when I went into prison, I'd already been introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. I had, I had had some periods of time where I had been in the program. I was first introduced to, to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was in rehab when I was about 15 years old. They told me some stuff about myself. They talked about the phenomenon of craving and the mental obsession, and that just ruined my drinking career after that. You know, I always knew I was an alcoholic after that, and it made my bottoms come real fast. It was like jumping off a cliff. I've said that to a few people already this weekend. Um, Steve, I need to hang out with you more if you teach people how not to cuss, because I, I cuss like a sailor. I'll try not to use any profanity up here, but every now and then it, it pops up without me realizing it. Um, when I went into prison, I knew I was an alcoholic. And I knew something, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. I wasn't thinking about the program of AA, but they have these little flyers up on the wall, and they'll say AA meeting Tuesday night or whatever. And I'd see it, and I'd go, oh, you know, I don't really want to go to that. But something inside me, down in my innermost self, I knew I needed to be there. Um, I wound up at Alexander, uh, a place I didn't want to be. And my life is a series of that, of, of being at places I didn't want to be. You know, always making decisions, trying to avoid something and winding up there anyway, winding up with that result. But a friend of mine who was not in, you know, sobriety asked me if I was going to go to the first AA meeting there. They had just opened this facility. And I said, yeah, immediately. I knew I needed to be there. And um, the first meeting there, I met Barry. He's in the room. Barry brought the message in. Um, after meeting Barry and attending meetings every week there at Alexander, I transferred to another facility. But all along, after you know breaking the ice and, and getting involved in the fellowship of AA, I knew I needed more. In my innermost self, I knew I needed the program of AA. I knew I needed. I knew I needed to work the steps. Um, and so I transferred. I, I got on the construction program, and I transferred from one facility to another quite often. And I would keep telling myself, I need to work the steps. I need to work the steps. I didn't want to work the steps, but I knew I needed to work the steps. I knew I had to work the steps. I don't know how to describe that really. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was a, I felt compelled. Um, I wound up at Lincolnton, another facility that I did not want to be at. I did not make a choice to be there, 
but my path brought me there. My God, that you know, some people call it higher power, but I, I choose to call God, got me at Lincoln's facility, and I met Bob. Bob was there bringing in the meetings. Um, Bob was mentioned last night by Matt. Um, and I did not know, I just know Bob said some really cool stuff at the meetings. You know, I was still at the same place. I was just involved in the fellowship. I, I showed up and I shared sometimes, but I really didn't have any experience with the steps. I didn't have any experience with sobriety because, you know, I'll just say this. When I talk about sobriety now, I'm not talking about not drinking. I'm talking about, you know, the miracle that we experience as a result of working the steps. You know, that spiritual awakening that 12 step talks about. But... I was walking laps with this guy named James Watham, and we used to have these intellectual conversations while walking laps around the prison every Saturday morning and bump into Bob. And I'm like, you know, hey, I think the meetings were on Tuesday night or something. I was like, what's Bob doing here? I said, hey, Bob, how you doing? And he, Bob didn't even really recognize me. He said, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, and little did I know that this was the beginning of a very close friendship. You know, I... I I consider a lot of the people that I met in prison to be more family than friends. I'm tighter with, with a lot of the people that I met in prison than I am with my own family. But, um, I'm, and I'm slow-witted. I, I don't, things don't register. You know, I, it was after I talked to him 10 minutes later walking around talking to Waddy that uh, I realized that Bob was in there working the steps with people on the weekends, you know. And it was odd because I'd wound up at probably the only facility in the state that the administration had allowed a volunteer to come in, give them a special room, let them bring in books, and work the steps with inmates. So when I saw him at the next meeting, I said, you're working the steps with, with guys? And, and he said, yeah. I said, can you get me on the list? I was thinking he probably had a big, long list and, you know, waiting list. And he said, yeah, sure. And... Um, so, you know, he immediately started giving me assignments. And I, and I always felt compelled. I had this deadline. I knew this job was going to be over in about a year, and I need to get through the, the steps in that amount of time. And, and Bob would keep telling me, he would say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. You know, there's no mistakes in God's universe, all the, all the typical cliche stuff we hear in here, you know, that means so much. It's, you know, we say it all the time because it's true. Um, things worked out exactly the way they were supposed to, and, and he got me far enough along. I remember when the month came that, that we were at step 12, and there was no assignment. He was just kind of like opening a cage, releasing a bird. I was like, you know, can I sponsor people now? He's like, sure, yeah. Um, and I did. I wound up transferring, and I didn't have much communication with Bob after that because Bob was a volunteer, and, you know, the rules were that you couldn't write or correspond with, with the inmates because uh, – You'd, you know, you'd lose your volunteer status. Uh, I wound up at Harnett. I don't want to talk too much about prison, but I've already probably used up half my time. And yeah, um, I wound up at Harnett, and I, I meet Robert and Tony, who are here also, and they brought the message in there. And, and I also met some other prisoners who a lot of people in this room have either heard of or know, Carter. Um, and, and I really got plugged into the program there and got a lot, you know, learned a lot about the program of AA there and, and, and grew a lot there. Um, I'll, I'll jump forward. You know, I wound up going through that same cycle of getting transferred and moving around here and there and winding up in places I didn't want to be. Um, and one thing led to another. I wound up at uh, Catawba Correctional, and they had, they had a, you know, a decent – AA fellowship there, a decent AA program there. We had a couple meetings a week. Um, 
and I wound up getting work release. I wound up going out on some CV passes from there. Um, the job that I got on work release that I wound up with wound up being good enough to where I felt like I needed to stay in that area uh, because I had a job. You know, getting out of prison with some money in my pocket after you know serving as much time as I had, uh, I thought that was that was good. There were some statistics I kept hearing. I heard that people that got out of prison and went to a meeting the first day were statistically more likely not to come back to prison. So I knew I needed to do that. I also made a, a pact with myself and, that I would get out and just kind of treat it like it was my first day of sobriety. I said, I'm going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. I'd been sober a long time. I felt like, I felt like emotionally I was, you know, sane. I felt like I had, you know, grown up. I didn't really... No, this is the transitioning part of the story. I didn't really know what was coming, you know. Um, you know, and it wasn't just figuring out how to use a cell phone because that's, you know, that took some time. That was, that was rough. But, you know, <laughs> things like walking in Walmart. You know, if the first time I walked in Walmart, that was overwhelming, I, you know. Um, I, I, I dated. I found up somebody setting me up on a date, and I wound up, you know, catching feelings for this person, and it was not the right person. And, you know, everybody said, no, you don't need to keep seeing this person. And I'm still friends with that person now, but I'm not, you know, in a relationship with them. But, but I had to go through all this stuff, you know. Um, I've recently, some of the people in the room know that I just recently had a very tragic family experience, and, and I almost didn't make it here because of that. But I'm, I'm glad to be here. I knew this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, I heard people say over and over again that if I put my program first, everything would fall into place, and it really has. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit about getting out. I decided to to go to an Oxford house, which is you know they they are proponents of 12-step, you know mainly AA. Some of them go to the other fellowship, but um, I decided to go to that. And when I interviewed with Jesse, the one of the I guess directors over the Oxford House at the time. He said, you know, we require that you go to three meetings a week or five meetings a week in the beginning. He went over the rigmarole about that. And, and I told him that I intended to make 90 and 90 when I first got out. And he said, well, you'll be fine. And, you know, they never made me go around and get papers signed saying that I'd made meetings. I never had that. <clears throat> and I had, you know, a substantial sum of money when I was released. So I didn't really need that environment. I was making meetings. I had a great network of support um but i stayed there for a couple of months anyway um and then you know again my path just kind of directed me that it was time to to move on and, and open up that bed space for somebody else who might need it um, the very first week i was out i got out on a sunday and one of the guys that was at the oxford house hadn't gotten his license he'd been out for about a year and a half and he was going to the DMV to get his license. This was all in the middle of COVID. This was in 2000, late 2020. And uh, at the time, the DMV wasn't allowing people to take the driven part of the test. So you had to get a, a learner's permit when you got out, you know, and, and drive under somebody else for a certain amount of time. And all these people were talking about how difficult it was to get a driver's license when you got out of prison. Now, I'd been locked up over 18 years. I hadn't had a license in over 18 years, and the night of my crime, I also got a DWI, which was dismissed because the crime that I was charged with was so much greater. They said, we won't worry about the DWI. Um, it had been dismissed, but my license had been revoked. And, and I, you know, while I was on work release, I kind of, you know, it's, it's funny how it works, just took care of some of the stuff. I had some outstanding tickets and everything. And, 
when I got out, I actually had an ID. You know, the prison I was at took you to DMV and got you an ID. And so I, this friend of mine who I'd also sponsored for a little while while in prison said he was going to the DMV. And he, the next day, this was on Monday, the day after I got out, he's sending me this text. Hey, I got my license. I didn't get a, a learner's permit. I got my license. I went and met this woman, and she said, I'm helping out ex-prisoners, da, 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 da. You know, and I said, I got to make an appointment, you know. <laughs> so I made an appointment. This wasn't, in, this wasn't in Catawba County. This was in Caldwell County in Hudson. Um, and so I made an appointment at that particular place. And ironically, when I went online to the, the website, there was an opening that following Friday, which little did I know, everybody else was waiting months to get appointments, but there was an opening that following Friday, and I show up, and, and I, I won't go into all the detail about insurance and all the things, you know, now I will say, I, you know, April said something about driving legal, you know, if I get pulled over now, if, unless I'm speeding, the, the cops are just getting practice. I'm not dirty. I've got, <laughs> I've got legal tags and insurance, and I've got a license and all that stuff, but... Anyway, I go in, and this woman uh, calls me back there, and I just give her the spill. Hey, I just got out of prison from 18 years, and, uh, and I've, I've, I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. Uh, I told her that I had insurance, and da-da-da-da-da, went in through the whole rigmarole, and she's the whole time just typing on the computer, a little short, you know, country woman. And she says, turn your face over here, and she takes a picture of me real quick, and, and I don't know what's going on. You know, it's been a long time. Anyway, I said... Um, I said, she said, you're going to get your license today. And I said, oh, cool, you know, get, get my license. She said, as soon as your insurance company faxes in that document. And, and I said, well, she said, go sit over there till the document gets faxed in. I said, well, can you give me the handbook so I can study for the test? And she looks at me and goes, test? She goes, <laughs> and I don't think she knew who she was just handing the driver's license to. I didn't have to take a test at all. But, but that, you know, talking about things just falling into place, you know. I get out of prison, a week later I've got a car, a license, I'm insured, I've, I've already got a job, I've got money in my pocket, I've got a network of people, I'm going to meetings. Um, I, I neglected to share that my home group is the Forever Newcomers group. It meets on uh, Monday nights at 7. And we have the same thing, it's the, the chairperson picks the topic. I'm the treasurer of that group. I don't know. You know, if y'all think about the implication of that, I've stolen a lot in my life. I've, uh, I don't know how much time I got. I got to stop in a couple minutes, but um, I've committed a lot of crimes, a lot of crimes that I didn't get caught for. You know, I think if they all compiled up, I would probably never have gotten out of prison, but thankfully they let me out. Um, but but they, they actually put me in charge of keeping the money. It's not very much money, but, you know, it's still cash just the same. And I've actually got an envelope full of it at my house right now that I need to go make the deposit with. I'm also the LCM for my, my little area for Catawba County in, in the district, so I have some service commitments. And whenever I'm called on to speak, I always agree. I, I try to never say no to that. Also, if... If they're needing somebody to fill in to chair a meeting or whatever, I always do that. I always try to, to, to be of service. And like I said, I have a, I have a few sponsees. I don't, you know, I hate, to, I hate to gauge that. I don't think I'm a very good sponsor, to be honest with you. I've never been a very good teacher. I'm a decent carpenter, but I've never been good at teaching other people carpentry work. So, but I have some sponsees, and they seem to be doing okay. You know, they're still not drinking. Um, <laughs> Some would arguably say that they're some of the craziest people in AA, but I think people probably behind my back say the same thing about me, so who knows. <laughs> but 
Another thing that happened to me, talking about successful transitioning, I had made up my mind while I was in prison. I had these business plans. And one was I had been a licensed general contractor before I went to prison, and I planned on getting my license back if they would let me with the nature of my <laughs> conviction. So I immediately signed up for a class to prep for the, the exam, and I did this on a whim, on, a, you know, on faith that they would actually allow me to, to take the exam and become a licensed contractor again. And I took this class, and I was, I was working 12-hour shifts at this manufacturing plant. So I was going to this class and falling asleep in class, you know, at night. Um, it, was, it was pretty tough, and it was mainly just highlighting, you know, they just basically tell you, hey, this is what to look for on the exam. And, you know, so I would, you know, some of it I'd get, some of it I didn't. Um, a lot of my friends that I met in the course of taking that class tried to take that exam and flunked it. Some of them passed it, but, you know, it's a very difficult exam. But when I filled out the application, I really didn't. I, I spent a lot of money on textbooks. I spent a lot of money on the class. I invested a lot of time. And, and at the time, I didn't know if they were going to allow me to take the exam or not, but I just did it on faith. And I put in the application, and I was honest about it. I told them about my crimes. And uh, I got a phone call one day after work. I was actually getting in the shower after work because the job that I had, the manufacturing plant, I'd get pretty dirty. And a lot of times, I'd just shower there before I left. And I was in the little shower room and the phone rang and it just so happened to be the director of the licensing board for general contractors calling me saying you know we got your application they had to have a special meeting about me <clears throat> and they said uh, they said you know you got a pretty severe crime and they said then he said but but it wasn't general contracting related you know <laughs> He said, I got some bad news. He said, you know, you're still on parole. We can't let you be a general contractor while you're still on parole. I was like, eh. He said, but we're going to go ahead and let you take the exam now, and then as soon as you get off parole in a few months, we'll give you your license if you pass. And, and I did pass. You know, I took, went and took the exam, and, and that's a whole story on its own. But when I hit the finish button, it said I passed, and I was shocked, I, you know, because I didn't know if I'd passed or not, but I did. And a few months later, I was a licensed contractor, and I'm now – working full-time as a licensed contractor with my own business and and doing well this is a very prosperous time for general contractors I mean and it's tough there's a there are it's a lot to juggle you know I'm not good at managing my own life you know I have to turn that over to God every morning or make a decision to turn that over to God every morning and and, and just kind of trust that my path is gonna take me where I need to go that God's gonna you know help me and I hate to say help because it's really more than help, but I recently realized that I needed to add to that third step prayer that Bob, Bob got me started saying every morning. By the way, I want to say that I get up every morning and say the third step prayer, and then later on I started saying the seventh step prayer, and then you know the eleventh step prayer, and then some of the other prayers. I, I pray all the prayers that are found in the literature, but um, I started giving the business over to God, too. I realize that, you know, I, I can't really manage the business very well on my own, but that's what I do. Um, I'm really grateful to be here. I just want to tell everybody in here that I appreciate what you've done, you know. And I have, I'm in the works of getting my credentials to be able to go in. I really want to bring the message of AA into prison facilities like it was brought into me. I want to, you know, grab the torch and, and take it. I'm hoping that somebody in there will hear it. I'm hoping that some kid will be able to grow up with their, with their dad because of something maybe I'll say or just because I'm bringing some coffee in or something or whatever they let me do. But, but I am really grateful to be here. I knew I was supposed to be here, and I'm, 
I'm going to sit down and pass it on. Thank you so much. Some of you uh, might know, especially the ones that have been in the gated community, um, I just want to clear something up so you won't have no more concerns, you know, be removed from your mind. Uh, in the gated community, is something known as the red door, okay? And the red door, what that means is you're ready to rumble. You know, it's a place, ex it's an exit door that actually it's kind of blind sight for the officers, so you're ready to go. And I don't know, I had a couple of people yesterday come by me and they say, Angel, you still institutionalized. And I said, why you say that? I said, well, you're standing by the brown door here. Uh, as you see, I stand by this one and you probably wonder that's not protocol, you know, but I got an official verbal message that I could step out of the, uh, out of the podium because the, I have a little issue with one of my a nerve and I cannot really sit down. So I just wanna at ease you What's wrong with him? You know, I'm okay. I'm just, just, just the only way I could deal with it. Um, it's interesting you said Walmart, you know, and we're talking about transitions. And uh, uh, Jason and I, I, I believe we're pretty good friends, you know. Uh, I, I've been to his home group, I spoke over there. And every time we see each other, we, we just shoot up some laughs. And uh, we're talking about transition, and, uh, and I share a story with him. Uh, and I, I'll show you how. You know, when you transition, you can't do this by yourself. You need help. And I'm going to show you what, how, how this happened. Like I told you, I don't like talking about it. I want to show you, okay? And I tell them a little story. Some of you know this story. I used to say it early on when I got out of the gated community. And uh, I come home. The, the uh, parole officer picks me up, takes me to the house, checks the house, checks the cars, all that stuff. And uh, I had an appointment for the driver's license, but it was later in the day. And I wanted to go to the store. So I go with my wife, my daughter, my mother-in-law. And I, I, I went to, uh, wanted to go to the grocery store to the Lion King, I mean food line. So I got it and I, and I wanted Cocoa Puffs. That's some desire that I wanted. I just wanted Cocoa Puffs. I had this thing that I wanted Cocoa Puffs. And, and we get to the store and she says, do you know where at aisle it is? Well, I haven't been not to none of those stores for ages. So, but I told her, well, I could read the sign. I'll look for cereal. I'm sure I could find that. So I, and she says, get a shopping cart. If you want something else, get it. So I go and I get a shopping cart. I find the cereal section. And uh, I go down the cereal section. I see a whole bunch of cereals. And I see Cocoa Puffs, man. And let me tell you what happened there. I was just so overwhelmed. I mean, I want short circuit. They had Cocoa Puffs now in different shapes, different sizes, <laughs> top boxes, small boxes, different colors. Some had some other, this design, this other design. And I just got and left the shopping cart and I started leaving out the store. My wife happened to catch me. She said, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. She said, wait, but you didn't get five cart? Yeah, well, why didn't you get it? I'm leaving, I'm saying I'm leaving. I'm, well, where are you going? I'm just leaving. I just left the store. So I tell this story to Jason. He was just, I mean, he was laughing so much. And at night he tells me, I got something for you, man. So this is what he gave me. He came, he came that night. And he gave me that. <laughs> so, 
I don't think that's an outside issue. It's just a uh, transition. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think it's okay. Uh, I appreciate your, your, your friendship, man. Uh, and it's about helping each other at the same time. I said, like I said, I can't do transition by myself, but, you know, uh, Jason, man, come up here. He got a wonderful story, man. Go ahead. I'm Jason Chad. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety dates December 10th of 2013. Uh, my home group is the Principals Group of Raleigh. Uh, we meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 o'clock. Our Tuesday night meetings are closed discussion out of the literature. Uh, if we have a fifth one, we do history. Um, Thursdays are always a speaker meeting. And if we have a fifth Thursday, we do a workshop. Um, I am sponsored. He's here now. Dean Coley is, is my sponsor. and. Um, you know, I do sponsor other men. Um, I just want to say, like, I've been coming to this conference since I got sober and since I was able to actually make it here. And um, I've always sat out there in the seats and I've always loved everything this conference has been about. And I never imagined or dreamed that I would be on this side of the conference. But it's, it's an honor to be up here. It's a privilege to be up here. Um, and, and so many of my leaders are here. You know, my, my sponsor's been active in prison work for a long, long time, done a lot of beautiful things, and Steve, and I've been able to meet Jerry and Paige and, and Randy. Um, I've known Randy since I was born. Well, he knew me since I was born. Obviously, I didn't know him very well then, but, um, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot of my leaders here that I trust with my life, and I've, I've let them help guide my life and I can promise you my life is more spectacular than I ever could have imagined drinking even the plans I made in prison didn't even touch what my life looks like today I couldn't make as good of plans as what my life is today um, so I'm just eternally grateful for this conference and for everything that everybody's ever done for me um, so I was born into an alcoholic family. Um, that don't make me an alcoholic, but um, I'm sure it helped. Um, you know, I believe I was born with the illness of alcoholism. Nobody had to teach me how to drink for the first time. Nobody had to teach me how to lie, cheat, and steal. Nobody had to teach me all those things that were ingrained inside of me from a young age. And um, so. You know, I, I, I got drunk for the first time at the age of eight years old. Um, and I drank alcoholically that night, and every other time I ever drank, I drank alcoholically. I didn't understand what, you know, one beer or one shot or one of this or one of that. I just didn't comprehend what that looked like. It was never my intention to do one of anything I did. It was always set out to get hammered and, and to get, I mean, just just get wherever I could get as fast as I could get there. And, and I never knew when, when to stop. I always overshot the mark. Every time I'd overshoot the mark and land somewhere I never meant to be. Um, I grew up in a household of violence. Um, I grew up surrounded by, by construction workers. I mean, I would watch them beat each other with cinder blocks, and I'd watch them pull knives on each other and almost slit each other's throats. And, you know, I'd watch my dad, you know, uh, violence towards my mother and I'd watch my dad fight in bars and you know this is what I seen 
coming up. So naturally, that's where I took to. I took to, to violence and I took to, um, you know, drinking every opportunity I could after that first drink. Um, my first drunk was on Mad Dog 2020, so I started out right. You know, it, it, it didn't, you know, it, it ended on, on probably like Orange Driver, which is a little worse than Mad Dog 2020. So I, it, it was a rough start and a rough ending for me. Um, but even as an adolescent, I, my first run-ins with the law, my first troubles with the law was juvenile. Um, I, I thought that... Um, you know, I, I had it made because, you know, they couldn't disclose my information to anybody. So the crimes I would commit, you know, it would take somebody else a lot of a lot of work and a lot of trying to get to me to really figure out who I was. Um, but I was always hanging out with older people. So they would get caught and they would have their names. So they really never come after me as a juvenile. I always got to slide under the radar when I was out doing crimes with folks. Um, in 2000... No, 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 1999, I moved to the coast. Um, my dad was on the run from the law. I ain't going to get into much of that. But um, the coast is where things really took off for me at. Um, when I moved down there, the, the motto for the place I moved to was, come on vacation, leave on probation. <laughs> I mean, so I, I fit in pretty well there. I mean, I, I thought that was a great motto to have. And... Um, you know, I was pretty confident I'd end up on probation at some point, so I knew I'd fit right in with them folks. And but what that looked like for me is my my dad was gone, and and you know he was he was, I mean as crazy as my my childhood was. I mean I, I never had to worry about food or my lights getting cut off. We had a home. Uh, my dad, if I had to guess, if I had to say something, it, we were middle class. I had everything I needed and most of what I wanted. The only way I didn't get what I wanted is if my behavior didn't allow that. To, to happen for me. Um, you know, I was the first boy in four generations on my mother's side of the family, so I was spoiled from the get-go. Um, and uh, my dad taught me how to work hard, though. You know, I was on my first roof at the age of six. He owned a roofing company. So it was ingrained in me that, that we work hard and, and we party hard. And I threw both of those in the same basket as a kid, and I just run with it. Um, so in Wilmington, my father being gone, um, you know, I was, I. I I was looking for guidance. I was looking for that, for that protection. I was looking for the, the source of money, and, and I found that um, with gang members. And so that's the route that I took. And um, I could drink any time I wanted to drink. In high school, I'd take fists of Jack Daniels in my backpack to school, and uh, I would get a Coca-Cola out of the vending machine, dump half of it out, fill it back up with liquor, and and I drink mixed drinks and, and all day at high school, you know, and uh, I'd done well even drinking, you know, I'd go to, I'd go to school hammered and make A's and B's. Um, and so things, you know, things progressed for me really, really rapidly. Um, full blown alcoholic by the age of 15. There was no stopping me, there was no slowing me down. I had the opportunity to be successful in football. Um, you know, I don't know if I could have got scholarships, but I can tell you I was good and the coaches loved me and I accidentally got on the team. But, I mean, I, I was good at that. I, I enjoyed it, but I had already crossed that line of alcohol being an option for me. You know, it wasn't an option whether I was going to drink anymore. And liquor came before the sports. Liquor came before anything in my life at that point. I, I just, 
everything else was secondary to what I was doing. And um, so when I was, when I was, you know, a lot of run-ins, I'm not going to really go into details, but a lot of run-ins with the law after I turned 16 and now they can, they, they can know who I am and they're showing up to my house and questioning me and, you know, the people I was running with, we had sources of income coming in. We had lawyers pretty much on retainment down there. And I would always wiggle my way through the charges and wiggle my way through the troubles to, to end up getting out of it with no consequences. Um, so I thought I was smarter than the law. I thought I was untouchable. I thought that the, the people that were around me were going to keep me safe from any, you know, anything that the judicial system could do to me. I thought lawyers were always going to be able to pay me, you know, pay our way out of trouble. And, um, you know, so all of the, the, the petty crimes, I would say, that I was doing, I was getting away with. And uh, that's just fueling my ego, which don't need fueling, you know, that, that's fueling my, my, you know, my mentality of me being untouchable and, and me being smarter than the police. And if I just plan this stuff outright, they won't figure me out anyway. Um, but when I was 18 years old, um, I just graduated high school, and um, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but I was talking to a fella here at the conference this year, and he said, you know, somebody on the inside told him one time, the only difference between us and, and the people that should have been here is seconds and inches. And man, that, 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 that landed solid for me because I was seconds and inches away from taking a man's life. Um, I had planned it. I was going to execute it. There was no question about it. Um, I had a gun to his head, and, and it was seconds of something happening and inches from me pulling the trigger that saved his life that night. And, um, but what I had done to him prior to almost killing him, or in the process, um, landed me in some, some big trouble. And the, um, the untouchableness faded quickly when I had AR-15s on me and a whole yard full of, of gang task force and the SWAT team coming to get me. And um, I, I'll never forget it. I had my nephew in my, he was in a car seat and I had him in my hand and my mother and my sister coming out the door behind me. And that's what they got to experience. And um, I just looked at him and said, please let me, let me set my nephew, you got me, you got me. I'm not running, I'm not going anywhere. And I did. I laid on the ground and I let them take me into custody. And what that would look like is um, they indicted me on some really big charges. And, um, you know, I went in front of the judge for that down there. And, and when, they, when they looked at me and told me, you, you look, they offered me 25 to 35 years in the penitentiary. And, you know, m my stomach kind of dropped. And, and it's like, oh, man, I've done it this time. And, um, but, but as soon as I found out that case was getting continued that day and I'm walking out of that courthouse, you know, that old fierce determination to win, yeah, it came back because I knew I was fixing to go get a drink and I knew that I would plan this and figure this out, uh, a way to get out of this as well. And, um, you know, we sent some threats to some people and, and at the end of the day, I, I spent $20,000 on an attorney down there and, uh, done some things probably shouldn't have done actually and uh, the guy never showed up for court so what that looked like for me is I had 90 days suspended sentence two years supervised probation no restitution from a man that spent 19 days in ICU that was in really 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 bad shape probably really expensive hospital bills 
I got a slap on the wrist. And again, I thought I was untouchable. I thought, I see, I knew it. I knew I could plan this stuff. I knew I was smarter than these people. And uh, I would end up going and, and, and doing that 90 days because I was in no fit condition to, to, to finish probation. I mean, that was just to get me out of the courtroom that day. You know, yeah, put me on probation. That's great. I won't never see the probation officer because I ain't going to see them. Um, and so that's what I did. That's, that's when I started staying 90 days, six months, 30 days, two weeks, staying to somebody could bond me out. You know, uh, my sponsor said Tuesday in the meeting that, and he, and he talks about his bright light experience being the blue lights in the back of a Wake County Sheriff's car. And when he said that Tuesday night, I sat in that meeting, I started thinking, man, I have ridden in six different counties, sheriff's cars. I've ridden in six different cities, cop cars. And I've ridden in three different agencies beside of everything I just mentioned and their patrol cars. And uh, that's not good. You know, that's not good at all. And uh, it hit me. I'm like, man, you know, grateful to be out here. But um, so 2009, my dad died as a direct result of the illness of alcoholism. He lost his life. And, um, you know, I'd love to say that I straightened up. I would love to say that um, I did something different with my life, but I didn't. But the, the one the one thing that happened since dad died and from being introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous was, was I ran into Randy at, at a Lowe's and, um, you know, I proceeded to tell him how great I was doing and, you know, I thought I looked good, y'all. I mean, I was probably 50 pounds underweight, but I mean, I, I thought I had it going on and, you know, he just looked at me and said, Jason, if you ever need a way out, I found one. And I'm, what are you talking about, right? Way, way out of what? I knew exactly what he was talking. I just didn't know I looked that bad. Um, so he gave me his phone number, and, uh, and I held on to that phone number. And Dad died in 2009, and in 2010, something came over me to call Randy and try to take him up on the offer for help. And, um, and he came got me. And uh, when he got there, I you know, asked him, hey, can I carry my liquor with us? And he's like, you can't carry that liquor in my truck. So I slammed the rest of my liquor bottle, and I, and, I, and I went to my first detox, and I went to my first um, first ever even knowing what AA was. I had no clue what Alcoholics Anonymous was. I didn't know how to really define alcoholism. I stayed, I don't know, a few days, maybe a week, maybe longer. I don't even know how long I stayed in that place. But here's what happened in that place is they broke down what the illness of alcoholism was, the mental obsession and and James was talking about it and, and the phenomenon of craving that once I start, I can't stop. But I can never put that into words. I can never explain to somebody why I drink differently from you and why I can't explain to you how come I can't drink like you. My answer was, why don't you just drink like me? And we'll be all right. You know, everything will be smooth sailing. Um, so I, I, left that, I left that facility with all the intentions to do right and, and to, to change my life. And, you know, I knew what was wrong with me now. I could just... I got this knowledge and willpower. I can handle it. I was I was drunk that night, and um, so that would lead me into another series of charges and another series of events that um, my luck ran out, and um, I landed in the penitentiary. Um, you know, looking back, it, this was my mentality: is is once I got out, that wasn't that bad. You know, it was that bad. Peni the penitentiary is not a fun place to be. Um, it's actually, yeah, it sucks. 
But um, so, it, you know, it, when I was in brown clothes, it's controlled movement. You don't go out of where you're at unless somebody pushes a button and lets you out. And so when I heard of the AA meetings that were being brought into that facility, I wanted to get out of the dorm as much as I could. So I said, yeah, I'll go to the AA thing, sure. And so I got over there and they had coffee and they had things like that. So I said, well, yeah, I'm gonna keep coming back to AA. Not that I heard much of the message that they were bringing. I, don't, I wasn't ready to get sober and stay sober at that point. And when they, when they moved me to honor grade and I went to green clothes, you know, the yard was always open and, you know, sun up to sun down. And, and it was a lot different there. I got me a job off, off of, um, off the campus and I would leave every day and go to do my job. And then I'd come back, made a whopping five bucks a week, um, 40 hours of work, five bucks. And, uh, you know, I was happy about that. But what I was most happy about at, was the men that, that was bringing the AA meetings into that camp. Um, it looked a little different than the brown clothes camps. And, and those guys were coming in there religiously every single week. And, and yes, they were bringing refreshments. And yes, they were bringing pizza. But mainly it was the same men that were coming in every single week. And what they was there to do was to help a guy like me get out of that place and not have to go back again. And I heard the message that they were bringing, and, and I seen the dedication that they had to, to the work of just trying to help somebody that had no clue who we was. Um, didn't know really our situation. They just wanted to be of service and, and, and offer us a way out. Um, unfortunately, I was not ready to receive that message. And when I got released from prison, I think it took me about an hour and a half before I was at the liquor store. And I didn't get an airplane bottle or a pint bottle or a fifth. I, I needed a half gallon of whiskey for some reason. And uh, what I can tell you is that just set off a, I, I took the first drink and my plan was to party that night and be done and go to AA and you know I know where to go now and, and I'm gonna straighten my life out but I'm gonna celebrate coming home. And um, it was a long celebration. It lasted about seven months celebrating and my life drove right back into the ground I accumulated more charges. I'm looking at two more years in the penitentiary and my life is right back where it just was seven months ago. And I don't know how I got there. I planned for one night of drinking. So through a series of events, I went back to that treatment center. I went back to detox for the second time. That was on December 9th of 2013. I went in there with a blood alcohol level of 0.384. I was in there joking and laughing and being a clown. And the detox monitor said, it doesn't surprise me that your blood alcohol is this high. I've seen this before. He said, what scares me, Jason, is your age and the way that you are maintaining yourself with an alcohol content this high. He said, you'll be dead soon if you don't do something about it. And he said, but the good news is you never have to feel this way again and you never have to drink again. And I heard that. And I hit my knees that afternoon and I prayed and I woke up December 10th of 2013 and I was sober and I've been that way ever since, but it's taken a lot, a lot of help. Um, I asked for help. I, I started to, to be sponsored for real and I got into the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And of course I had court dates now and I've got things that I'm gonna have to take care of. And I got with my attorney right before I got sober and I said, look, just activate the sentence. I've been to prison. I know what to expect. If I don't go there, I'm going to die out here. So just tell the judge, let's get it on. Let's go. And uh, God had a different plan for me. So 
when I went to court, I'd been in that treatment center probably five or six months, and I went to court, and I went in front of this judge, and uh, I know i got to wrap up soon, but I, so I went in front of this judge, and, and, and like, I'm in front of the judge. I'm at the table with my attorney. The DA's here, and we are talking to the judge, and somebody walks through the back door with three red folders. Now, I'd been in the judicial system a lot, a lot over the years of being a criminal and a convict, and I've never seen happen what happened that day. The judge looked at the three folders, thumbed through them, closed them, handed them to the clerk of court. The clerk opened them, read them, shut them, stood up, and called three names. My name was included. She said, all of y'all are to go to the fourth floor. My attorney didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. He said, well, we're just going to go to the fourth floor then. Okay. So he had told me when we walked in that courtroom, he said, this isn't good. This isn't a good judge for what we're going up against. And uh, I said, you know, here's the deal. If I've got to go back to prison sober, that's fine. I know there's AA in prison, and I know that I can stay sober in prison. I'm going to do what I have to do, and I'm, I'm going to be okay through it. I'm willing to do whatever I have to do to, to, to clean this up and make it right. So we go up to the fourth floor, and we walk in, and my attorney looks at me, and he says, Oh, Lord. You're, he used different words, but he was like, You're really screwed now, because this lady's much worse than where we just were. And I said, well, you know, like I told you down there, it is what it is, you know. If I go back, I just go back, and I'll stay sober, and I'll get out, and that'll be that. And uh, so I had this folder of all the, all the meetings that I had been attending. I'd filled out sheets for and got signed and had the Hill in Place write me a letter that I was there and where I was at in the program, how long I'd been there. And my, my attorney asked to approach, gave her that, that folder, and she opened it, and she read it. Every single page in there she looked at and flipped looked at and flipped. She closed that folder and she laid it down and she told me to stand up. And she said, Mr. Chatham, today is probably going to be your lucky day. And I didn't really know what that meant. Maybe she was going to go light on my, on my sentence or something. Um, but what she proceeded to explain to me is that, that she was a donor of her money and time to the Hill and Place of Wake County and that she took other judges and DAs on tours at that facility and that she knew exactly where I was at and exactly what I was attempting to do with my life. She said, and, and I'm not going to try to mandate you there. I know that recovery doesn't work like that. Um, you've got to stay there because you want to stay there. And she said, I'm going to give you the opportunity to stay there. I'm going to suspend these two years, and I'm going to put you on 18-month supervised probation. One mess up on probation, you're going to prison. And y'all, I mean, just like I get goosebumps right now, I cried in that courtroom that day. I mean, that lady gave me a shot and didn't have to. That lady gave me a shot and I was five or six months sober. I had proved nothing in the grand scheme of things to what my violent past and history and what my record looked like. I had proved really nothing to her to give me the opportunity to, to, to continue where I was at. And um, what else she done was she waived every fine and fee associated with the charges that I had. Thousands and thousands of dollars she waived because she knew I couldn't work at the place I was at. And um, so that began my first successful journey through probation. I met the probation officer. He started naming off things, asking me how I'd done this, how I'd done that. I said, sir, not being rude, but can I look at that paper? He slid the paper over to me and looked at it. I said, I've done everything that you got on this paper and some. And I drank about a half gallon of liquor a day before I got sober. I said, I ain't never told a probation officer that, but I don't know any other way to do this and be honest with you. 
and try to get through this successfully. And I did. I successfully com completed probation in 2015. I've been off paperwork since then. Um, I've never forgotten the men that brought meetings into the facilities where I was at, so I've always been avid for the corrections work. I've been denied five times to go into facilities. I've been denied from Wake County Jail to go in there to their facilities. Um, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I've been able to correspond with men through letters that are incarcerated. I've, I've kept correspondence after they've gotten out of prisons to, to live in better lives. Um, I, matter of fact, whenever I get home, I'm going to send a letter out. I got a, a guy in, in Texas that's incarcerated for 29 years that I'm going to just see what I can what I might be able to plant there for him and see if he's got meetings in the facility that he's going to be at or that he's at. Um, I've, I've given one, two, three, I believe I've been into three different facilities giving talks. They'll let me come in and give a talk. I don't know why they won't let me volunteer, but, um, but I've been into behind the walls to give talks. It's always a powerful moment for me. It's always powerful to see me sitting in those seats and knowing that I'm there for such a different reason and try to give these guys hope that no matter where you've been, you can live free even in here. And when they get, get out of there, hopefully get them to meetings and, and, and get them under good sponsorship and, and get them involved. Um, staying involved for me is, is I've, I've, again, my leaders that I, that I follow and the ones that are my giants, they've, you know, Joey Tucker taught me taught me what commitments were. He he he, um, kind of like his experience with Dean when he took me out on a Friday night one night. We left the Hillen place and we pulled up to Wake Correctional. I looked at Joey. I said, "Why are we here?" You know, like this is where I lived here one time. Like, um, and then and then from his experience, he walked up through that gate and he walked inside that gate and he come out with another man, and that man got in the truck with us and we all went to a meeting. And um, that blew my mind. I was like, really, you're able to do that? Because Joey was the first guy that was ever nice to me. And he, he, he come to me one day in 2010 before I ever stayed sober. And he said, Jason, how you doing? And you know what? He, he, he wanted to hear how I was doing, really. And I always remembered that. So when I got sober, I seen him again. And I looked at him. I said, Joey, you've been sober all this time? He said, yeah, Jason, I've been sober. I, it blew me, blew me away. You know, I was like, man, he's an old timer. <laughs> you know, he'd been sober for three or four years, and it just blew my mind because, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really know what this was going to lead for me. But I can tell you that um, I'm, I'm, I just sent Miguel my credentials. I'm, I'm going to try to get into Johnston Correctional down there with them guys. Um, I'm going to give it another attempt. I'm never going to give up. Um, God will put me in the facility that I'm supposed to be in when I'm supposed to be in it. I'm confident of that. I'll keep doing what I can do. I hold service positions in my home group for eight years and running. So I'm never without nothing to do. Um, there's always men to help. There's always letters to write. There's always, there's, there's always something to do in Alcoholics Anonymous if you make this a way of life like I was taught to. Um, there's always things to do. Um, my family is whole. I lost my sister to the illness of alcoholism while I've been sober. That, that was a doozy. Um, but I got through it sober from, from the men and women in my home group. Um, they wrapped their arms around me. My sponsor, everybody has, has guided me and led me exactly where I needed to be every time I needed to be there. 
Um, I never planned on being sober this long. I didn't think I wanted to be sober this long, but my life is absolutely hands down better than I ever could have imagined. I own my own company. And I know that sounds spectacular. It's really tough and I have to work a whole lot and I got to work times that I don't want to work. And, um, but it's a gift, you know, I've got the things, I've got materialistic things, but most of all, I've got a relationship with God as I understand them. And that's constantly evolving for me and my sponsor's constantly helping me trying to improve that. And the more I listen to him and take his suggestions, he's never led me wrong. And, um, you know, my kids know who I am. My kids love me. I have four children. My oldest is 18 already. My youngest is 12. So they've seen and experienced a lot of the stuff that, that I did and I went through and, you know, putting them second to, to alcohol, second to prison sentences, second to everything I was doing in my life. But our relationships are on the up and up. And, um, you know, everything that's in my life today is a direct result of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the first time that I seen a pure AA meeting that I can remember was when I was behind the walls in the penitentiary. And I'm forever grateful for the men that was bringing meetings there. I'll be forever grateful for everybody in this room. And as soon as I can get into them prisons, I will be a, a long-term volunteer for that. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for having me, Paige. And Steve. Thank you. Well, you had some dozy here. Uh, I'm just going to do a plug-in here. It's the opportunity of uh, what transition is for me in the latest. Uh, last year I stood up here. I don't know. I don't remember what panel I was in. I'm sure you probably saw the itinerary. You said, Angel, again? You know? Uh, I don't know. I guess if I'm on a panel, maybe I'm not transitioning right. Um, might have relapsed or something. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you this, last year I, I stepped up here and I, I remember saying something to this effect. Uh, I said that uh, I, want, I was involved with the uh, national, that we were talking about that, that's been talked through, through the conference. And I said that I needed you guys' help. I needed you guys' help. And uh, one of the beautiful things that the people I spoke to, uh, I, need, I need you to come to Chicago with me. Uh, I need you to come out there. I need you to support this, what we're trying to do. And those volunteers that came in, that they spoke in those gated uh, communities that I was in, actually, then after I got out, I mean, May 1st is going to be 10 years that I've been out. And uh, I'll, when we had to do the presentation, I had, we will have 15 of them that had come basically to those facilities and brought me the message. Now, 10 years later, they're still with me, and they come and we did that presentation together, and we brought, and like I said, my sponsor, you, I would, he would always tell me, Angel, you know, if you don't win, there's always next year. I say, I ain't going to go next year. We're winning. I'm a competitor. And uh, I had faith because I had them with me. There was no doubt in my mind. I knew that I was not going to lose that. So, Matt, uh, I don't feel bad that I beat you by no means. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm a competitor. You know, I'm glad I won. Okay? <laughs> you know? We just took you down, you know? <laughs> just gonna, I'm going to keep on beating on you, huh? <laughs> But uh, I hope next year you, you guys don't give up and, and, and put a presentation. And if you guys need anything that I could assist or help with, man, uh, please uh, get with me, and I'll be more than glad to, okay? I'll give you all the secrets that I know. <laughs> and that was passed down by these volunteers. Uh, so, man, give a warm for these people up there. We'll be back in uh, 15 minutes.